Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. God, what a joy it is to be in your house. Um, Lord, there's no other place that I'd rather be, Father. And I thank you, Lord, that when I'm here, Lord, you're here as well. This is a place that you have established, God, your abode. And I'm so thankful for your presence. I don't find your presence, God, in many places. But I know on Sunday mornings, God, and even throughout the week when we come in here and pray, it's just something about this sanctuary, Father, that we find you here. And I thank you, Lord, that you're here today in the midst of your people where you long to dwell. God, open our hearts, open our minds, God, to your words. Speak to us, God, those things that I can't even articulate with my own words. But, Lord, speak to the deep things of our heart. God, you know those things that you've been speaking to and addressing. And I pray, God, today you would bring some finality to it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 How many of y'all still doing this? It's okay. Hey, listen, just jump back on the horse, all right? Jump back on the horse. If you get kicked off, man, life happens sometimes. And I was telling um, the, uh, uh, the teams this morning, I said, man, I've had to a couple times go catch up three days in a row, you know, because things got crazy. Uh, so it's all right. Let's just, just jump back in there and read God's word. The Lord ain't mad. I promise you the Lord don't stand like this looking at you, all right? You've missed it by 10 minutes. That's not, that's not the Lord. So turn, uh, turn to your Bibles in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Almost 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, Julie and I, we went house shopping for the first time. We used to live in the, in the more recessed places of the city. Uh, we had, it was, that was fun. In, in Southwest Little Rock. That was fun. That was interesting. It was educational uh, to a great degree. Um, there was, it's nothing better than being at 2 o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden every single uh, space in your house lights up because the ghetto bird flies over looking for somebody. And when that light comes down, it's time to clean the house because you see all the dirt you've missed, you know? It was incredible. It was a, it's, it's great. It's great. But we finally said, all right, enough of the 2 a.m. visitors and stuff like that and the crack house across the street. We got out of there, and we found a house, and we were looking for a house that we wanted to pull. And uh, we understood that the best time to, to attain a pool is to buy a house with a pool because it don't cost you nothing. So we, so we got this house, had a pool in the backyard, and it was great until the first time that pool turned to a swamp. And then it wasn't so great because uh, that's not, it's kind of nasty. It's, it's more like a witch's brew. It's like brown. It's not like really green. And so I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't grow up, you know, uh, understanding pool chemistry. And so I called Jim the pool guy. Jim the pool guy came out and he looked exactly like you probably think in your mind right now. He came out with his sandals, with his, his shorts on, you know, his Hawaiian shirt. Uh, he had a goatee that had been grown out, you know, and, and it had rubber bands down here. And then he had a ponytail all the way down to the bottom. And he came out there. He was like, hey, what's happening, man? You know, what's going on? And so I said, hey, got a, I got a problem in the back. Let's go look at it. And he pulls up this real super nice truck and uh, grabs his stuff out the back. We walk around, and he's like, I got you fixed in no time. Don't worry about it. And so he did. He worked about four hours that day. And, uh, I mean, it went from a dark brown to a light blue. I mean, that brother was working. I'll give it to him. But after we got through talking, he said, just do these couple steps on your own tonight. I'll come back by tomorrow, 
you know, no charge at all, just to kind of make sure things are working and they're, they're still going the right direction. And I said, okay, great. And so as we uh, got through talking, he, he slid me over the bill, and I said, appreciate it. We'll see you, Jim. And I opened the bill, and I looked up, and I thought, well, those chemicals are expensive. <laughs> chemicals are expensive. I didn't know chlorine cost so much. And so chlorine and soda ash and so on and so on. And then I got down to where it said labor, and the labor said at four hours, and the amount over here to the right-hand side said $700. I said, well... I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> I mean, Jim got it going on. That guy's paying himself $175 an hour. I'm thinking, I can't even get a, a, a surgeon to operate on me that much. That's just, that's expensive, you know? And so I realized really quick, I'm not asking Jim to come out no more. That was it. Done. Golly. And no offense against Jim or if you're a pool guy, but I'm just telling you, 175 bucks an hour, that's, that's high price. <laughs> that's a lot of money. So you know what I did? Mm, well, no, I, I thought about getting rid of that pool, but I could never do that. So I got online, and I studied everything I possibly could. I went to, I went to pool chemistry certification. I was reading. I was watching YouTube videos. I mean, I would just sucking it all in because I knew I wasn't going to pay that guy 175 bucks an hour anymore. And finally, I got to knowing what I needed to do. And when I finally learned everything I learned and I had understood everything and I was watching YouTube videos and I was like, okay, that's how you do it. I'm good. You know what would have been crazy of me is if I called Jim and said, Jim, I think I know what I'm doing, but you tell me what you think. No. The whole point of me studying in the first place and, and researching and reading and doing all those things is so I wouldn't have to trust Jim's word, right? Because now I, I have been under the, the, the right information I had learned. And as crazy as that sounds, I mean, I, honestly, I did call Jim a couple more times, but that was to ask him a question. I did not employ him anymore. Um, but it would be crazy if I had him come out and say, now, Jim, now you watch me. Now, I've learned this. Now, I've understood it, but I want you to watch me and make sure I do it the way you would do it when I just got through reading the way it's supposed to be done online. It would be crazy for me to do that and pay him $700 more <laughs> to do that. But the crazy thing is, is that we do that spiritually. We do that spiritually, right? We call Jim the pool guy for our marriage, we call Jim the pool guy to raise our kids. We call Jim the pool guy to manage our finances. We call Jim the pool guy on our career, on our career paths. When, when we have read all the articles that we need, when we have read everything, we, there is a university we could graduate and understand the, the master's teaching. How crazy would it be for you and I simply just to hear the word of God and not do the word of God? I don't need Jim's opinion. It costs me too much anyway, right? But somehow we, we, we find ourselves struggling that way. And if, if you say, oh, Pastor Scott, it's a little early for you to be stepping on my toes already. But I would tell you is that we're not alone. This is not the first time. And Jesus is addressing this. In fact, Jesus' very first sermon, he talks about this. He deals with this right away. And so in Matthew chapter 7, this is at the end of the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who's ever preached. And at the very end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we come down to the last part um, of him speaking, and he, he, he gives us a story. 
He tells us why it's so important to, um, uh, to listen to his word. And not just listen to his word, but also to, to do his word. And so let me just read this. Let me start my timer so I don't run you guys over. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and what? Does them, don't call Jim, and does them will be like a, uh, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. How many of y'all are singing this song right now in your head? I know it. I, I can't, every time I read, I'm like, yep. And the rain, yeah, so I'm not going to sing for y'all today. Because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So here Jesus, he, he wraps up all his teaching with this story. And this story is simply to exclaim, to put an exclamation point to us. It says it's important for you not to just hear what I've been telling you, but to do them. And he creates a comparison, as it were, for you and I to understand what happens if you hear his words, you hear his teaching, you sit in his church, and then you choose to do them and you choose not to do them. And so Jesus brings out really three commonalities that I want us to, to look at this morning. Those three commonalities are simply this. The first off, there was a house. Both guys were trying to build a house. Both of them had a dream. They were trying to build something. In Scripture, when you look at uh, the word house, a house is showed up in four different ways. A house represents a, a life. All of us are trying to build a life, right? We're all trying to build a legacy. Nobody wants to die and be forgotten and not give nothing to their kids or be thought of highly or respectfully right? when, we, when we go on to the next life, uh, which will be heaven for y'all, by the way. I don't know, uh, maybe not all of you, but some of y'all, most of y'all, hoping. Um, and so we're all trying to build a life, right? We want to we build a life, and most importantly, we want to build a life that is a model for our kids to repeat, that they'll have life as well. But not just a, a life. Also, what we find is that we're trying to build a family. A house refers to a family as well. Nobody uh, walks the aisle uh, in anticipation and in hopes of saying that they do, but then later on saying, I don't. No one wants to get a divorce. That's not the goal. So, but sometimes we, we run into those situations, but that's definitely not the goal. We want to build a healthy marriage. We want to build a healthy family. We want kids that respond to you the first time. We want kids that say, yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Do we want those things, church? I want those things for you. I do. I do. Because I, just, I hate to see you grieve and just try to chase your kids down. You know what I mean? I, I want that for you. I want kids that look up to their mom and dad and say, you know what? I want to be like them. That's, what I want. That's the family we're looking for. That they love God like you love God. That they respect God like you respect God. They fear God like you fear God. I want them to see that in them because they've been following you. So we're trying to build a family, right? In the Bible, a house can be the building of a church. In fact, at large, it's the household of faith. Welcome to the household of faith this morning. And so we're trying to establish a church. No one wants a weak church. 
You don't want a church you can come to and, and, and there's nobody coming and it's the same old faces it's always been. There's no life transformation. Nothing's really happening. We, we want to build a church that God can put his name on, his seal on, his presence in. That's the kind of church that you and I want to go to, right? I, I mean, that's where I want to go. Also in the Bible, a house can, can be building of a nation in the case of the house of Israel. And so, so those are the four things we can look at. And hopefully, you and I, we desire to build all four of those things. I want to build a life. I want to build um, a family, a marriage. I want to build a, a church, a ministry. And I want to build a nation. All those things matter to me. And so these are the things that they, were, they had in common. There was also the word. They had the word in common. If you look at uh, verse 24, it says, everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them, right? So there's that one type of person. And then verse 26 says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. So what we have are two different people in the same setting listening to the word of God. So now what I want you to understand is they're, they're in church together. What we don't have is some atheist and a Christian you know, listening to the words of God. No, what we have are both people who are hearing the word, right? We don't have a church goer and a non-church goer. We have two people that are in the church listening right now, listening to his words. And one of them is making a decision to not do them, and one of them is making a decision to do them. That means today, right now, in this house, there are only two types of people. Some of y'all will do the Word of God, and some of y'all will not do the Word of God. There are no other options. And so hopefully at the end of today, we'll be at the place where we're all choosing to do the Word of God. But what I want you to understand is that they shared a dream. They shared a house, a plan to build a house. They also shared the Word. They were sitting under the, the, the perfect preacher. I mean, if anybody can preach, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Jesus, right, who is full full of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and so he's preaching the word. The message was perfect. The articulation, all of that was perfect. So there was no flaw in the presentation. They, they heard it exactly the same. So the, they shared in commonality the, the, the word. And then the other thing they shared was, is, was the storm. How many of you know that we all shared the storm? The rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, when I grew up, I would hear sometimes preachers on TVs and some in person, and they would say, if you're going through a storm, and you just need to bring Jesus your storm, and he'll calm your storm. And that sounds really good, but that's not what Jesus said right here. Jesus doesn't always calm your storm. Not always. Does he speak peace to your storm? Yes, he can. But that may not always be the goal, because Jesus says, here's a wise person that's following his, his words, and Jesus says, he still has a storm too. See, that's the thing about storms. Storms don't care about who you are. They don't care about how much money you make. They don't care about what your last name is. They don't care about what culture you're from. They don't care about the timing of when they come. They don't care if you've just been sick, been sick, been sick. Guess what? When a storm comes, it's like, my turn. Storms don't care. Storms could care less about culture or your financial status, none of those things. And, and storms are sometimes financial, sometimes they're relational, oftentimes they're just circumstantial. But here's the thing about storms that I know, you're either leaving one or going into one. Storms are just constant. 
So they shared these three things. They shared a house, they shared the word, and they shared the, um, the storm. So look at, let's look at the contrast this morning. Because my hope is this. Let me just kind of reframe for a second. My hope is simply this, is if we understand that at the end of the day, you and I are falling into two camps, one of the two camps. We've been talking about Scripture. We've been talking about um, how the Scripture is what it says it is, how it's unique, how you can trust it for its truth, how it is powerful, how it's transformative, how it is the revelation of God. We've seen all those things, so we know the Scripture is what it says it is. But the question we're arriving at today is what's our response to the Word? Now that we know it is His Word, what are we doing in response to it? And that's what Jesus is asking. I'm speaking to you the Word. Everyone who hears my word is going to either do them or not do them. For what good is it for us to have the answers to life and call Jim the pool guy? We don't need that. We have everything we need. The only thing we need to add to our knowledge is is service, is movement, to activate it. So look at the contrast here. Notice first that you can be a wise man with a dream to build a house. But you can also be a foolish man with a dream to build a house. The fact that you're building a house doesn't make you wise or foolish. It doesn't make you different. You can have the same work ethic. You can have the same plans, the same strategy, the same resources. But Jesus says those things won't disclose to us whether you're wise or you're foolish. Everyone has a house. So you can't look over there and say, well, he didn't even build no house. No, the difference is not that you have a house. Neither is it the fact that you're, um, you're biblical teaching. A wise man can receive biblical teaching, and a, a foolish man can receive biblical teaching. In fact, oftentimes, I have run into people who know the Word of God way better than I have, but they're still foolish people. And they're foolish people because I've realized the storm in their life has revealed their foolishness. And so it makes no difference how much you know. You can know a whole lot. I don't know if you've ever worked with someone who knew a whole lot but didn't do a whole lot. You ever had one of those before? Walk around. Well, what happened, what that needs to do is this over here, that needs to be right. Man, you better get in here and do some of that. They knew a whole lot but didn't do a whole lot. And I don't want that to be that way with me or you. I want to know the Word of God, but I want to do the Word of God. So knowing something doesn't make you different. Neither is the storm, obviously. You can be a wise man going through a storm, and you can be a foolish man going through a storm. And oftentimes, we look at the storm, and we say, Lord, did I do something wrong? <laughs> I felt like that last month when I had three kidney stones, and I, had, I was, I was sick, sick with the flu and, and, and a stomach bug, and I was like, Lord, Lord, let me just repent right now. God, I'm just tired. What am I doing wrong? And can I tell you that just because you have a storm in your life does not mean that something's wrong. You can be a wise man. You can be someone who is listening to the very words of God and being led of God and still have storms in your life. And so don't allow that to, to distract you because that's what the enemy does. Who caused the storm? Definitely the enemy, right? It wasn't Jesus, but Jesus spoke to the storm and calmed it. And so we know that the enemy is trying to create storms in our life. But we don't have to worry about that. We have, we have a, a wisdom, a, a knowledge that the Lord has given us. So what is the difference between the two? 
When we say there's being a wise man, what I want you to understand is that wisdom doesn't come just by an IQ or just the amount of information that you've gathered. That's not wisdom, okay? Wisdom is not IQ or information gathering. Sometimes we feel that way because we think, well, I don't know that I have a lot of information to to really uh, process the, the wise thing to do. Let me tell you what wisdom is, okay? Here's the definition. Wisdom is the, and you need to make sure you understand this, is the willingness and ability to apply spiritual truth to life circumstances. I, I want to emphasize this word. Wisdom is the willingness. The willingness. You have to choose to do that. To apply spiritual truth to life circumstances. Why is it a willingness? Because it's not easy to do so. You and I do not operate off of normal logic. We operate off of kingdom logic. And kingdom logic says give when you have not, right? It says to love your enemies and forgive your enemies even though they're talking about you, even though they're doing bad things to you, won't ever let you uh, have a breath. But the Lord says to forgive them and pray for them. That's kingdom logic, because in this world, we had a different type of logic in this world to deal with that stuff. And, and, and kingdom logic also says this. It says, whoever is the greatest among you is the lowest among you, is the greatest servant among you. That's kingdom logic. So we have to be willing to, to address life and apply spiritual truth to life's circumstances when it does not seem logical to our human reasoning. That's why we have to go back to the Word and say, what does the Word say? And the Word will ask you to do things that, that does not seem logical. Like I said a few weeks back, Lord, we need wine, not water. But the Lord says, bring me the water. But are you willing, are you willing to obey His voice? Because that's where wisdom is, is when you're willing to apply spiritual truth to life circumstances. Obviously, converse is, is simple. Foolishness is unwillingness to apply. It's stubbornness. I'm not going to do that. I know what the Word says, but they don't deserve that. They ain't getting that. No. No, they owe me. They owe me. They better be glad I'm not even, I'm not, no, I'm not going to do it. It's unwilling. It's unwilling. It's not, it's not willing to even humble yourself. Do you realize that almost 99.9% .9 of our problems have to do with people? You realize that? Really, it is. I mean, th there may be 1%. I mean, you could, we could say some other things. But at the end of the day, you and I both know it all boils down to the relationships that we have. And so what we find is simply this, is that our unwillingness simply is our inability to humble ourselves. Because we think, you know what, there's... For me to accept this is to say that they won. It's to say that they've been forgiven. They've let, let go, you know, that I was wrong and that they were right. And I can't do that. That's why the Lord says, you know what? Vengeance is mine. Because you can't whoop them like I whoop them. Because I whoop them until they break and cry my name. You'll just make them mad. You ever have a kid that you just whooped made them mad? But you need a father who says, you know what, I'll deal with them because the goal is restoration and the goal is real change. And if we're being honest, that's where it comes down with people, right? We, 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 we're angry. We're upset. But really when it comes down to it, 
is we want them to be different. We don't want them to be that way. We want them to change. And we're frustrated that they're not refusing, they're refusing to change and not admitting that they need to change. And so foolishness is unwilling to address the, really the relationships of our lives and situations in our lives with kingdom logic. And kingdom logic is not easy. It's costly. So one built his house on the rock and one built his house in the sand. But notice this. They both were going after the same thing, but they didn't start in the same place. I need you to see that. Both were going after the same thing, but they didn't start in the same place. It wasn't the wise man that worked harder. It wasn't that he was a better manager with his money or he knew a contractor to help him out. That's not it at all. They, they, they started in different places. So starting in the right place will determine how long your house will stand. That's important for you to understand. When you're going forward and you're looking at your life and your situation and the house that you're trying to build, whether it be your life, your family, you know, your, your ministry, your church, or a nation, you have to ask yourself is where am I starting from? And that's a lot of the problems that we have sometimes is because we're not starting where we need to start. We start at the easy place. We start at the comfortable place. We start at the convenient place. We don't start at the hard spot because we think, man, if it's, if it's this hard in the beginning, how much more difficult will it be in the long haul? But can I tell you that the wise man was known by the place that he started? Where are you at today? Where are you starting at today? Are you over there making sandcastles and you're excited and as giddy as all get out? Are you sweating over there on that rock? Thinking, my God, how hard is this thing that I have to tap into and work? Because there's a difference in foundations. You have rock, and if you've ever built on rock, you know, you just can't plop something on rock because rock is never perfectly smooth, right? We have to drill into rock, but rock is solid. But then you have sand, and sand is great to build on if you're looking for something that's fast, something that's cheap. And something that's easy, fast, cheap, and easy. Are you looking for a spouse that's fast, cheap, and easy? <laughs> then you better quit looking for it at the sand. Oh, in the back. Ah, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are like, well, we can't go to the beach again, Pastor Scott. That's not even fair. <laughs> sand is different from rock, but really, sand is rock. The difference between sand and rock is simply this. Sand is divided rock. Sand is many things, where rock is one thing. Many things versus one thing. And the problem is we are so busy trying to build our house on many things. Many things. I'm trying a career. I'm going to use that, but it's not absolutely fulfilling. So let me live vicariously through my child. That's fun too, but that's not really fulfilling. So let me give myself to a hobby or an interest or a group. All, what we find is this. We're amassing all these things, and it's just sand at the end of the day. But there's one thing. There's one thing you can stand on. There's one thing you'll always know that no matter how many times I put my foot on it, it's going to be there every single time. That water may come in, that wind may come in, life may come in, somebody else's words may come in, but I choose to stand on the solid rock, and that rock will last the, the, the eternity, the test of time. So where are you today? What are you standing on? 
A divided rock or a single rock? You know, what's difficult about rock is this. Like I said, rock, you have to drill down in it. You have to, the, the, the higher you want to go, the deeper you got to drill, right? If you've ever been driving through the big city and they're building those big 200-story skyscrapers, and before you see all of that beautiful, you know, uh, architecture and construction, before you see all that, what were they doing before that? You know, everybody driving to work for the next six months. You know, they're just drilling down, drilling down, drilling down. But can you imagine if they took a skyscraper and put it on a chicken coop foundation? <laughs> you, how long is that going to last? You know? Oh, it may look pretty. It's pretty. Because you spent all your time building, but you didn't spend any of your time laying the foundation down. And I think so many times in life, I'm guilty as well. So many times in life, we're trying to build skyscraper marriages on chicken coop foundations. So many times we're trying to raise skyscraper kids, but we won't invest in them. We'll invest just enough to make a chicken coop foundation, right? We want a great skyscraper church, but we'll serve like a chicken coop foundation. We want a skyscraper nation, but we pray for it like it's a chicken coop foundation. We have to move away from all of this manifest on top and start to dig down below in the rock. So the question is, is are you wise or are you foolish? Because you only leave two ways today. One of those two ways. Why aren't you digging? Why aren't you digging? What's, what, really, be honest with yourself today. What's the excuse? Is it because somebody else is in the way? Is it because you want to face another failure again? I mean, why aren't you digging? When you know, and you know what this will do. And you know you can count on it time and time and time and time again. But over here, we have to constantly repair the foundation. Constantly repair the foundation. Our life is, destruction, is, is just distracted, and, and, and we, we're leaning, and we're constantly trying to build ourselves back up. And you know what? Someone who's always fixing their foundation can't help nobody else. And what that does is it makes us selfish people. All we, all we think about is ourselves. All we care about is ourselves. That's why Jesus says, when we follow him, that's why he says in Philippians 2, he says to do nothing out of selfish ambition, but count others more significant than yourselves. Because when you're standing on the rock, you don't have to worry about yourself. You can focus on other people and realize what they need. But when we're so busy trying to repair our foundation, all we think about is ourselves. Maybe our foundation is not firm enough. Let me add more. Let me add more. Let me add more. This is bad. I don't want that. Get in my life. You're bad. Get out of my life. I want you in my life. And so all these many things we, we struggle with. And this morning, Jesus simply says it's very easy. It's very easy. Because the question we come down to is we say, how do I choose between rock and sand, Pastor Scott? Well, here, it's easy. How do you choose between rock and sand? The decision comes down to how long. You want your house, how long you want your life, your family, your church, your nation, how long do you want to stand? Because however long you want to stand will help you determine the foundation that you choose. Your foundation determines your future. It determines your future.
And maybe you're okay <laughs> ending up in verse 27 when the rains and the floods came and the winds beat against that house and there was a collapse and, and mighty was its fall, great was its fall. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to get into anything that's going to fall. As the worship team comes up, I, I want to just close with this last thought. You know, the one thing Jesus doesn't really address here, but it, it is still true. In, in, in Little Rock, where I came from, we had, we had some sandstone. And sandstone is dangerous because it's stone and it's got sand in it. And it feels like you can count on it. It feels like it's solid enough. But the problem is you can't mix. <laughs> you can't mix rock and sand. They eventually will erode themselves. They'll eventually break under pressure or other uh, external elements, whether it be water or whatever it might be. But I think that Christians all too often say, I know the sand is bad, but this sandstone's pretty close to the rock. Maybe I can trust in it. What do I mean when I say sandstone? I mean, we know God's word. We know God's word. We know what it says. It's the rock. But then we come and we ask Jim, the pool guy, what do you think? Your marriage is struggling, and you're asking other people, well, where's the rock at? Your family's struggling. Your finances are struggling. Your faith is struggling. Let me tell you something. YouTube ain't going to answer those questions for you. Quit looking for sandstone. There's only one rock you can depend on this morning, and that is the rock of ages. Lastly, I want to talk about this storm. Because the, so the storm can kind of play itself a ways and, and not seem like it's too um, influencing in the decision. But I, I want you to remember this, is that we can choose rock and we can choose sand, but nobody knows what you've chosen until the storm shows up. And when the storm shows up, it is a revealer of all things. You ever wonder sometimes why you go through such hard times in life? Why there's a struggle? Why you feel like the Lord is testing you and, 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 and tempting you to some degree? You feel like, Lord, what are you doing? And can I tell you, the, the Lord is longing to use the struggle always for your good. I was reading in Deuteronomy uh, a week or two ago, and, and I ran across this verse, and it just hit me, and I thought, oh, this is so good, Lord. Why, why does the storm come? I'll, I'll tell you this. The storm comes to reveal our devotion. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, I didn't, it's not on the screen. Just, just follow along with me. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. Who was leading them? God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. Verse 16 says, he is, it is he who feeds you in the wilderness with manna from your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. I want to tell you why storms come. Storms come for the believer to reveal where we are in relation to who God is. There is a place in our life that God is longing for us to climb and to go further into him. But the Lord comes along in the storms and he reveals 
who you believe, who you call him to be. He wants to make sure, as I heard a preacher say one time, he says to make sure your, your amen on Sunday is your amen on Monday. He's testing you. He's seeing where you're at. Now, is God, is, does, does, is God in discovery phase? Does he not know what I'm going to do? No, yes. But God is not trying to test you for discovery. God is trying to test you for devotion. And devotion is important because everything we see in the Old Testament that was devoted to God, God said, that's mine. I secure it, I keep it, I claim it, I own it. And when you reveal through a struggle that you're devoted to God, God says, that's mine and don't touch it. And the great thing about God is that he'll always come for what's his. So don't be angry. And don't lose your gratitude. Mm. Don't lose your gratitude in the struggle. Because the Lord is, is using that moment to reveal to yourself and to the world that you belong to him. Sometimes he brings the struggle along to let you know that now you can have more. Sometimes he brings problems into our life relationally to see if you'll really lean back into him. To see if you'll grab him again. Or will you just ask the Lord, why, why did you let me go through this? Because the Lord is always drawing you close to him. And so don't be angry at the struggle. And don't be angry at the one who's over the struggle of the storm. But just know that God is trying to reach to you. The other thing is this, and then I'll be done is that regardless of the storm, I want you to know that salvation was built with the storm in mind. That, that rock was there for the storm in mind. Regardless of what you're going through, I want you to know that this rock that we stand on was given to us with the storm in mind. There's nothing you're going to go through in, in terms of your life, relationships, career. makes no difference. I don't care if it's health. I don't care if it's the sanity of your mind. Nothing you're going to go through in a storm is something outside the plan, the will, and the salvation of God to pull you through it. You know how I know? It's because regardless of the storm that your life goes through, there was already salvation built for your storm. No matter what you go through, that rock will hold. No matter what you're enduring, that rock will hold. No matter how many times you've been offended, you've been abused, you've been, you've been, been spoke wrongly about, that rock will hold. That rock was given for your storm in mind. There's not a salvation that God has not provided that he has not thought about your storm. Can I tell you this morning? You need to know that Christ is, he is your firm foundation. Stay with me.